What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. I realize most of you have probably already found those accounts, but for those of you who may be tuning into the show for the first time or you're a relatively new listener, please do go check us out over on social. That is where we share all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls. Every bit of baseball content that we do share does get put out from Ethos Fantasy BB. And during the season, I tend to tweet out a lot of my content, a lot of thoughts, random pickups and drops and things like that. So make sure you guys are getting ahead of the curve and going and following us there. Sportsethos.com, of course, is the website. For those of you who do not use social, you'll still get pretty much all that same content, minus the tweets that you'll see throughout the day during the baseball season. And even during the offseason, me and the guys will tweet out our thoughts, random things uh, regarding baseball, our thoughts on a particular player or a particular team, whatever. You don't get that if you're just using the website, but you get pretty much everything else, the podcast, the articles, and all that great stuff. So make sure you guys are giving it a shot there. That's sportsethos.com. Now, we took a break from our reviews yesterday, talked a little bit about the backlash for the World Series matchup that we saw online. A lot of people not happy the Diamondbacks are there. I think the Diamondbacks are going to win the World Series, and I think they're going to just piss a lot of people off. Talked about that yesterday if you guys want to go check it out. The day before that, we had done our first third base review. We went through the top 10 third basemen by ranking, according to Yahoo Fantasy. There's a lot of different sites you can look at for rankings. I think Yahoo is a pretty popular one that does a pretty decent job with their algorithm of ranking players. So that's what we're using. Like I said, we went through the top 10 already today. We will go through 11 through 20. And then tomorrow, to wrap up the week, we will talk about a few guys who did not finish within that top 20, but I still think are very interesting moving forward. And we'll also talk about their 2023 season as well. Maybe there were some specific reasons why they did not get in the top 20, volume-based. Maybe they just had a down year. They got injured, whatever it is. Uh, So we will talk about that tomorrow. But today, we will kick it off with Ha-Sung Kim who was one of the big surprises of the fantasy season. I think it was regardless of where you were playing. uh, Kim was probably drafted with a very late pick, but I don't think it was something that was set in stone that he was going to necessarily be drafted in all cases. Uh, Outside of the top 250 over on Yahoo, at that point, he's getting drafted in some leagues. Uh, Some leagues he wouldn't have been. It was kind of just a toss-up. Now, if you're talking deeper NFBC-style leagues, and yes, obviously Kim was getting drafted. If you're standard 12-teamers, though, a lot of them, you just found him on the wire, and you found somebody who was triple eligible, second, third, and short. That is really valuable, and he will carry that into next year as well. Played 106 times at second, 32 times at third, and 20 times at short. That will be enough for him to carry that over on all platforms. He gave you 17 homers, 38 stolen bases, and a 260 batting average. He was excellent on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, and that's something that will keep him in the lineup a lot. You know, even if you're not somebody who is typically going to play every day, the bat combined with the really good defense, 152 games, 150 last year, really solid production, and it has gotten better every year he has been in the big leagues. Now, is it going to continue to get better than this? Potentially, we saw him crank a 30 home run season in Korea. We saw him go 23, 20, 20, 19, 30. So he has power. Um, we didn't see it like to a crazy extent, but 17 homers. I mean, he's really building off of what he did last year where he had 11. Getting up to 17, I don't know that there's too much room for that to grow. The slugging, the ISO, those numbers were about the same. Maybe he can touch 20, but I think if you're getting what you're, you know, pretty much expecting to get from Kim at this point, which is, let's call it 15 homers, 17 homers, what he did this year, 80 to 85 runs, 
and I think there's even room for that to potentially go up. We saw the Padres kind of underperform this season. If they are in a position where they are, you know, not underperforming, guys like Machado specifically, who we'll get to um, in, in a little bit today, really did not have a great start to the season. Xander Bogarts was okay. Juan Soto eventually figured it out, and he was fine. Uh, and he was actually very good. Tatis was not, you know, full-blown Tatis. So you could have easily seen... 100 runs scored from Kim. A lot of the time, the majority of the time, he was leading off. Now, there were also quite a few times where he was batting 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth. He was in every spot of the lineup this year except for 3rd and 4th, but mostly he was leading off. Assuming he's leading off again predominantly next year, with that team, you know, maybe they don't have Juan Soto. Maybe they do. I'm not sure, but I think you can expect those guys who had those slow years to kind of bounce back a little bit, specifically Machado, specifically Fernando Tatis as well. Like, Tatis, another year removed from the surgeries. I know a lot of people are thinking he can be a top-five player. Kind of do what Acuna did this past season. Acuna was coming off in 2022, was still, you know, fresh off of the surgery. Uh, for his, was it his ACL? or his, I think it was his ACL, but it might have been Achilles. I always mix up ACL and Achilles injuries. I don't know why. I believe it was his knee. I believe it was in the ACL. 2022, he was fine. And then 2023, Acuna just was absolutely bonkers. And a lot of people think that Tatis can do that again next season or do what Acuna did, have a pretty good year this year. And Tatis was still very good. And then really just explode the year after that surgery. So assuming all that happens, which I think is a reasonable bet to say that Machado won't struggle as much, that Tatis will probably you know take another step forward here. Uh, there's a lot of reason to think that Kim could give you 100 runs scored. Now, the RBIs as a leadoff hitter, never going to be too much. You're probably looking at the 50 to 70 kind of range. He had 60 of them this year. But those stolen bases, 38 stolen bases, will it continue to that clip? I think you can say 30. Like we saw a lot of the time in Korea, 22, 28, 16, 33, 21 steals. Always a pretty big steal guy. I wouldn't expect him to build on it too much more. But if he's even able to give you 30 steals to go along with everything else we've talked about, there's a lot of value there. You know, the positional eligibility thing, I think, does get overblown a little bit. But when you're talking about Kim, who's not somebody that is going to be going, like, I think it's overblown a little bit in the early round specifically. With a guy like, you know, last year was Bobby Witt, third and short eligible, and certain guys where you're not going to move them around really too much, especially if you draft them in the first or second round. You draft, a, you know, a third baseman in the first round, even if he's multi-position eligible. He's probably playing third base for you every single time you set your lineup. But a guy like Kim having second, third, and short a little bit farther down the draft board can really, really, really be beneficial. So he's somebody that I'm really going to like as long as the price isn't getting pushed up too, too high. And I think it'll be relatively high, but not crazy high. He was the 111th player on Yahoo's rankings this season. Generally, you're going to see him about in that range, about 100. And that's probably where I think he should be drafted. And if he's as long as he's not going too far above that, I think that you'll take him uh, in that range and be pretty damn happy with the results. <clears throat> Let's move on and talk about Manny Machado. He was literally one spot behind Kim in the overall rankings for the season, coming in at 112 and as the number 12 third baseman. It was a disappointing year. I drafted him in a couple of leagues, specifically my home league. I felt it a little bit taking him at the end of the first round. It was... Mm, not great. Now, he's obviously somebody that was still in your lineup the whole year and still ended up having pretty decent value. 30 homers, 91 ribbies. He batted 258, three stolen bases. Now, only 75 runs was kind of disappointing. <clears throat> I think that does kind of go back to the team as a whole, not producing the way that we thought they would. He also did only play 138 games. So there was some time missed from a guy who every time there's a full season, pretty much, you're looking back to 2013, he played 156 games. 2014, he missed time. 
And then after that, you're looking at 162, 157, 156, 162, 153, 156. He's playing games every single year. He's not really ever somebody who's missed time, and he did a little bit this year. I think a healthy Manny Machado next year is very interesting. He's not going to be going in the same place as he was going this year, which was the first round of drafts, and understandably so. I believe he was the runner-up for MVP in 2022. 32 homers, he had 100 and 100. He batted nearly 300. He stole nine bases. He just took a bit of a step back this year. I don't think that Machado is somebody who is at the point where, uh, you know, he's really fallen off a cliff. He's only 31 years old. I don't expect to see Machado have terrible, terrible seasons going forward. I think we have to kind of keep our expectations in check a little bit. He's not going to be probably doing what he was doing in his Baltimore years or what he did in the first couple of years in San Diego. It's probably going to regress a little bit. But I think you're still probably getting really good value if you're taking Machado in the third or fourth round. I think it's great value, honestly. Everything I said about Kim is the same for Machado in terms of the lineup. I think the players around him are going to probably be better. Again, that's conjecture. I don't really know what's going to look like next season, what the team will look like, especially with Juan Soto. We don't know with Juan Soto if he's going to be there, if he's going to get traded. There's talks the last couple days about the Yankees maybe getting in on Juan Soto. So I'm really not sure what the team is going to look like overall. I think Machado will be a pretty decent uh, bounce-back candidate, though, even if the season generally looks something like this as a whole, 30 homers, 70, 80 runs, 90 RBI. The batting average is something I would think would probably come up a little bit. He ran his lowest BABIP that he had in six years, only a 258 batting average. You'd probably expect about a 270 batting average, 280 batting average from Machado going forward. Not somebody that I have a ton of worry about, but certainly it was a disappointing season. There's no way to splice it where you say, well, you know what? He did redeem himself. Like, no, you took him in the first round. He returned value outside of the top 100. He was a bust. No question he was a bust, but I think that will lead to a nice buying opportunity next year for, uh, for Manny Machado. Let's talk about Alec Bohm, a guy who was just a couple spots below Machado in overall value, 115 versus 112. Now, obviously, the draft price you had to pay for Bohm was nowhere near what you're paying for Machado. You're probably paying somewhere in the 140s, 150s generally. It did vary by site, which, I mean, it just it's kind of the way of the game. Uh, 197 was his ADP on Yahoo. It was a little bit higher on the NFBC, I believe. But he returned a really, really good season. 274 batting average, 20 homers, 97 RBI for Alec Bohm. A pretty high floor batting average guy you can get later on at third base. It's nothing to sneeze at, for sure. Now, he's third base and first base eligible for next year. He played 90 times at third, 80 times at first. Definitely nice to have that dual eligibility. You also have a guy who, like I said, pretty high floor for batting average, 276 career hitter. We're talking nearly 2,000 plate appearances at this point. It's not a tiny sample size, 456 career games. He's a 276 hitter, and we've seen it, you know, 2021 kind of dragged it down at 247 there. It was a bad, bad year. It was his first full shot at the big leagues. But other than that, we've seen 280, 274. His first initial stretch in 2020 was a 338 batting average. He is somebody that could realistically hit 300. He could realistically hit 20 home runs again, I think, very easily. And you're also talking about one of the most potent lineups in baseball, where you have guys like Nick Castellanos and Real Muto batting sixth and seventh. It's a pretty impressive lineup. And Bohm has been batting cleanup. He's been, he was cleaning up in the playoffs right behind Harper and Turner and Schwarber. So if that's what they're going to stick with, I don't see them changing it around too much, maybe a little bit, but Bohm will be in the middle of that order, providing good power, providing good batting average and excellent counting stats while chipping in a couple steals. Not a lot, but he had four this year, a couple the year before. It's not a zero, and that's, I think, a, a huge thing in a lot of categories. If you're taking a lot of guys that are zeros and steals, it will catch up with you. Even if you have guys like Bohm who are just getting you three, four, five, it does add up. It truly does add up, whether you're talking about head-to-head -head or roto. It can really come back and save you. I think Bohm is going to be great value. 
I think, like everything I've said, in that lineup, considering the floor that he has across all categories, low strikeout rate, decent walk rate, I really like Alec Bowman. I think he's going to be a target of mine in a lot of leagues next year. Not somebody that I expect to be flying up draft boards, but a really, really interesting player. Isak Paredes is next up here at number 14. Another guy that I had on my home league team, not somebody that I drafted, but he was a pickup fairly early on in the season. And my goodness, Isak Paredes turned out 31 homers and 98 RBI with a 250 batting average. 250, you'll think, oh, okay, whatever. But when you're getting 30 homers and 100 RBI off the waiver wire, you'll take that every single day, twice on Sunday. Now, depending on your league, maybe he wasn't waiver wire fodder. He was probably drafted, uh, you know, in those deeper leagues for sure. But just looking at like 12-team Yahoo ADP, he's nowhere to be found. He was not somebody that you were drafting in those formats. And yet he came up and gave you nearly a top 100 season. He was the 119th ranked player. I love what he did. I absolutely love what he did. And I think it's crazy that Detroit gave him away. I think Austin Meadows, the whole situation is really unfortunate. You couldn't have really foreseen that coming. Maybe they did, though. Maybe Tampa did. And they really cashed in with Paredes. He's a great on-base percentage guy. If you are in those leagues, 10% walk rate. He had a 352 on base to go along with the 31 homers, 98 ribbies. There's no reason to think it's going to get any worse or any better, really. I think this is generally who Paredes is going to be in that lineup. It's an incredible lineup year in and year out. We see it every single season. They find a way to succeed, even this year, losing Wander Franco, their best player, with like two months left in the season, and they still were able to pull through and get it done. I think the offense is something where even if the individual pieces in a year are kind of giving us pause, guys like Paredes are glue guys that are going to still give you 30 homers somehow, and he's still going to provide value for you there. 30, uh, excuse me, 116 times at third base, 25 times at first, 14 times at second, and he also even played one time at shortstop. Paredes is somebody who is going to go into next year in a lot of formats with first, second, and third eligibility. We're talking about a guy who's going to be 25 on opening day. There's a lot to like in that lineup, and again, not somebody I expect to be terribly expensive. When you look at certain factors, yeah, the homers and the, uh, the volume stats are nice, one steal and a 250 batting average will keep some people away, but I don't think it should preclude you from wanting a guy like Paredes considering where you're likely going to be able to get him. Not going to be terribly expensive. Probably going outside of the top 100 picks in a lot of cases, and I think at that point it, you're getting a really nice bargain there uh, in Isak Paredes. Let's talk Nolan Arenado. <clears throat> Nolan Arenado is coming off of the worst season of his career. I think that you can say that on both sides of the ball. It was the first year he's not going to win a gold glove in his entire career. It's ridiculous to think about, but Manny Machado, first 10 years, gold glove every season. This year, it started to fall off a little bit for him on both sides of the ball, really. Now, in 2022, he was magnificent. 30 homers, 103 ribbies. He batted 293. 150 WRC plus was a career high, and so was 7.2 wins above replacement. He was incredible. This year, you are looking at 2.6 war, a 266 batting average, 26 homers, and 93 RBI. Now, that team, I've talked about St. Louis ad nauseum at this point. Great offense. They were a great offense this year. And I know the team sucked. A lot of that was the pitching. The pitching was dreadful. And even the offense kind of caught up with the pitching in the last month of the season. It was not really that great. And overall, the numbers were kind of you know suppressed a little bit if you look at the whole season stats in terms of runs, homers, RBIs, OPS. They were about the 10th or 12th best offense in baseball, even with a horrible last month, even with a horrible year in general, really, where there was dysfunction with Tyler O'Neill and Wilson Contreras. They were still a good team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Arenado is going to be there. He is a long-term contract through 2027. 
that team's not going to look terribly different next year, I don't think. I know there's been talk about maybe Goldschmidt gets traded, maybe this guy gets traded, that guy. I think they're going to be generally the same kind of team. I think Aaron Otto is somebody that, again, you know, similarly to Machado, he's going to be cheaper, but I'm not as interested, I think, in a Machado, or excuse me, in an Aaron Otto bounce back as I would have been, um, you know, even a few weeks ago before I really started digging into the numbers. The walk rate went down, the strikeout rate went up, the ISO was pretty low at 193 for him. Overall, we have started to see a little bit of a decline with Arenado. And, you know, he is at the point where he's going to be 33 years old in the first couple weeks of next season. He is starting to decline a little bit. Somebody who has a ton of volume under his belt. In th- at age 32, he has more than 1,500 Major League Baseball games, 6,500 plate appearances nearly. It's a lot. He's a guy who's pretty much every season since 2015 been 157, 160, 159, 157. These last two years, we started to see him break down a little bit. He missed 14 games in 2022. He missed 18 games this year. I don't know that he's somebody that I want to be investing a very high draft pick on. I think that there is still a buying opportunity, and he'll be pretty good. But I think we're going to start to see Arenado not give you those crazy, crazy seasons anymore. First time in a full season, he didn't give you 100 RBI since 2014. First time in a full season, he did not hit 30 home runs since 2014. It's been a long time since we saw Arenado produce this poorly. So, <clears throat> excuse me, while the price will go down, you also have to factor in that the production will as well. I think that there's I think that there's still going to be teams where I draft Nolan Arenado because I think that probably in the fifth, sixth round, in some cases, he will be sitting there, specifically in 12-teamers. I don't know if he'll last that long if you're talking 15-teamers, but I think I can see him as a target regardless of format if he is going to be knockdown in price farther than last year, which I believe going into last year, he was going in the 30s or 40s on the NFBC. Uh, if you're talking about Yahoo, his ADP was 36. If he gets pushed down 20, 30 slots, then I'll be interested. But if he remains even in like the 40s or 50s, and maybe he, he goes down even farther, it's still so early to know where ADP is going to settle in. But if Machado's going like in the 70s, I think that's where I would really be interested. It, it would have to be a bit of a discount compared to what we paid last year but there's still room for him to have good seasons. It just might not be classic Nolan Arenado seasons like we have been used to for so long now, and we've been spoiled, but I think we're kind of reaching the end of that, and we saw it this year a little bit. Jake Berger. Jake Berger really surprised me and a lot of people, I think, this year by hitting 34 home runs. Now, I think that we kind of knew there was power there, but 34 home runs from Jake Berger was still something that I don't think we were expecting to, to like at all. Got traded from Chicago to Miami midseason, and it really worked out for him. Now, he's still a guy who strikes out way too much. The on-base percentage is not good because of the walk rate being pretty low. So there are, I think, certain builds where Berger works better than other builds. If you've taken guys throughout your draft who are, you know, high strikeout, low batting average, big home run type of guys, like if you're taking a lot of Kyle Schwarber, and you're taking, you know, uh, the Joey Gallo types. I, I mean, not that Gallo is really somebody that's on the radar at all anymore. But if you are taking those types of players, then taking Berger to compound that is probably not the greatest idea. He's more somebody that I would pair as a later draft pick with somebody who, and not even a pair, because you're going to have a bunch of picks already under your belt by the time Jake Berger comes around. But he's somebody that I <clears throat> that I would pair with somebody who has fairly high batting average and probably is stealing some bases for you, assuming you're talking you know, another middle infield or excuse me, another corner infield type. Um, that would be probably what I would do because I don't know that you can have too many of your burger types on the roster. There is definitely a role for him. Like he's not somebody who should be on waivers in any league or anything like that. Like he, he will be drafted. He will be on that Marlins team. He will be in the middle of that order. He'll be cranking bombs. 
But there is a time and a place for Jake Berger. He's not somebody who fits every single mold of a team like an Alec Bohm would. Alec Bohm is helping you out a little bit everywhere. He fits every kind of build you can think of. Unless you're like specifically just needing steals at that point, Bohm is doing everything for you. Berger comes to a point where you just probably are looking for power and everything else you'll kind of just take what he gives you. I like him, but I think that he's not somebody that you can just say any build, any team, Berger works. I think he potentially could, but there's also a lot you got to factor in there considering the strikeout rate is very high for the career, 28.8%, 27.6% this year. He's not really a play in OBP format, so there, there is a time and a place. As good as he is offensively, not great defensively. He will lose some playing time because of that, I would imagine. I mean, he's not he's not a great third baseman. He's just really not. Now, depending on your format, maybe he's able to sneak in uh, some multi-position eligibility. He played five times at first, five times at second, so I don't think he'll carry those into next year in a lot of formats. He'll have third. Maybe he adds a second position, which would sweeten the deal a little bit. But overall, I don't think you can be too interested in Jake Berger in a lot of cases. And I don't want to sound like I'm not a fan. I am. I think what he did this year was really impressive. But I also think we have to kind of keep our expectations in check. I doubt he's going to be a 45 homer, 270 hitter next year. I think we probably saw a plateau season from him this year for fantasy purposes. I don't think he's going to give you too much better uh, going forward. Number 17, Brandon Drury. I did not think we'd talk about Brandon Drury again in this light. After the year he had in 2022, I thought that was about as good as you're going to see from Brandon Drury. And then he pretty much did it again. I mean, the runs were lower because the team sucked, but the homers were within two. He was within four RBI. He was within one batting average point, 262 versus 263 last year. He was really good, Brandon Drury. And he's not somebody that I would really like look to draft specifically. He's going to be on the Angels again. Uh, he has another year on his contract unless he gets traded. So, uh, you know, you kind of have to look at the Angels as a team that's not going to be good. Uh, and I, I know that sounds obvious, but they're probably not going to have Otani back. They're probably, I mean, Trout's kind of in flux. Even if he's back, the health has been in question. The team's not going to be great around him. Drury is somebody where if he falls, and if you're talking like in the 200-plus range of a draft and you're just trying to fill in that spot, then I'm all for it. You get second base and first base eligibility. He's not going to carry over third base after having it for this season. So that is something to think about. But you're getting first and second base eligibility, somebody that you can kind of plug in for some decent homers and not terrible batting average either. 260s is fine, especially if you're getting what you're getting in the other categories from him. At the point where you would be drafting Drury, I think that he is a pretty good bet, not somebody that I expect to get any kind of helium. No one's going to be a huge Brandon Drury fan heading into next year, probably. And I think that you'll probably be able to uh, get a decent price on 25 home runs and probably 70-ish runs in RBIs. There is value there, uh, depending on where you take them. Not to say that he works in every build, but I think that uh, once you get to that point of the draft, you're you're doing okay if you take Brandon Drury, if you need to fill in um, some counting stats, some homers. Specifically, homers at that point is what I would be looking at him for. Let's talk Josh Young. Josh Young would have been a lot higher on this list had he not gotten hurt. Josh Young was a stud and potentially, not even potentially, it looked like a, a likelihood that he was going to win rookie of the year. If he hadn't missed 40 games, then I don't know what we'd be having, what conversation we'd be having, but he still, in only 122 games, had 23 homers, 70 RBI, 75 runs. He stole a base and he had a 266 batting average. Every appearance for Young was at third base. 121 starts there, and I believe there was one <clears throat> pinch hit or defensive replacement that he did come in as well for that last appearance. Now, he has a high strikeout rate. 
He doesn't steal bases. It's kind of a little bit similar to Jake Berger, but you're getting a guy who's in a much better lineup and I think also has a much higher ceiling. We're talking about a guy in his rookie year who did this. I don't know what the potential is for Texas um, with Young in the four or five hole in the lineup, but you got to think like this guy is easily going to be able to hit 100 RBI, 30 home run. Like that should be a baseline. The batting average came down once he came back a little bit and ended up at 266. But he's a guy where you could realistically say, and I mean, 266, I'm talking about it came down to 266. A lot of people will very happily take that. I think he is somebody where you can say he's a 280 hitter. In the big leagues, there's no reason to think why not, especially if he's able to run BABIPs like he did this year at 340. We saw him run very high BABIPs in the minors, so it wouldn't shock me at all to see a 280, 290 kind of batting average out of Young. He could be somebody that is providing value all over the place at third base. He could be like a little Nolan Arenado, honestly, not stealing bases, but giving you high batting average, high power stats. I think that's likely what we are going to see from Young. Good progression going forward on a team that is just going to maybe not get that much better, but we saw the product this year reach its peak pretty much. They're in the World Series. They are the American League champions. And I think that this team is going to remain fairly intact. You know, Semyon's going to be there. Seager's going to be there. Adelise Garcia's going to be there. I think that there's a lot of potential in Josh Young. And I think the missed games are actually going to help fantasy managers. He's going to be pushed down in price because he was injured. And that's kind of the way it works. But you'll get him later than you probably should. Like I said, 30 homers, 100 runs, 100 RBI, and a 280 batting average is pretty likely. Like a top 50 season from Josh Young is really, really likely. He was the 195th ranked player this year, which I know, I know. But he missed a quarter of the season. To miss a quarter of the season and still be in that ranking of the top 200 at least is ridiculous. Like you are a fantasy viable player if you are anywhere in the top 200. You are, especially if you're looking at the end of season rankings, because in season it, it fluctuates so much. You hit a home run one day, you jump up 50 spots, and then you go over four, you jump down 30 spots. But end of season, you look at a top 200 player, viable in any and all formats, somebody that needs to be rostered. You add a quarter to that, you add 40 more games to that, we could see a stupid, stupid season from Josh Young. So I'm drafting him a lot <clears throat> next season. I think that team is going to be just as good offensively, and I think Young is going to take a step forward. I really like Josh Young, especially because he's going to go outside of the top 100 picks in a lot of cases. I think there's a lot a lot of value to be had there. On to number 19, and that is Jimer Candelario. I don't think that many people thought it would be this good of a season from Candelario. I th there were some people who were in on him, and I took him in a couple of drafts late because I thought that there was some potential. But what he did this year was really, really good. 77 runs, 70 RBI, 22 homers, and eight stolen bases. Eight stolen bases is what really took me by surprise. The last two years, he hadn't stolen any. So giving you eight is really good, obviously. Hitting a career-high 22 homers, a 251 batting average. Like He is not somebody that was really that viable in your shallow formats. And he was the 200th-ranked player for the season. So you could make the argument that he was even 10-team viable, but... I think in your deeper leagues, if you took Candelario in a 15-teamer NFBC league, you were really, really happy with the returns. I know I was. You got 140 games. You got 147 runs and RBIs combined. 22 homers, 8 steals. Like, that is really good value from Candelario. Now, he's a free agent. I don't know where he's going to go. I don't know what the production is going to look like. He's not somebody where you can, like I've mentioned with a few players, write their numbers down and pen at the beginning of the year. And then you kind of just generally know what they're going to give you. The Freddie Freemans, the Austin Rileys of the world. We're not anywhere near that with Candelario. He could hit 27 home runs next season. He could hit 14 home runs next season. He's a kind of a hard profile to really dig into. He's had seasons where he's hit very, very well batting average-wise in the 270s. He's also been in the low 200s before. 
So he's kind of a hard player to figure out. The walk rate jumped up a little bit this year. Well, the strikeout rate went down a little bit. He had a, the highest ISO of his career. So maybe we do see some more home runs going forward from Candelario. I think a lot of this is situation dependent, though, where he does end up signing. But I know that he will be third and first base eligible. 115 times at third, 21 times at first base. You're getting both of those. So getting a corner eligible guy late in the draft, pick 200. There could be value there. I want to reserve judgment fully until we know where he's going to be playing next year. But Candelario could end up being a nice value like he was this year. It would not surprise me at all if he's able to kind of replicate what he did and just kind of fly below the radar again. So somebody to take an eye on, uh, keep an eye on if you are getting past the pick 200 range and you need a third baseman or just a corner infield guy. The last guy we are going to talk about today is Christopher Morrell. Christopher Morrell came up and <laughs> was ridiculous. I forget if it was like a 12 or 15 game stretch where he hit like, I think it was 10 or 12 home runs. And that kind of did carry him for the season. He ended up with 26 homers, 70 RBI, a 247 batting average, and six stolen bases. That stretch of play really did carry him because we're talking 107 games here, 26 home runs. We saw a really good stretch from him in 2022 as well. Like he's had really good stretches each of these last two seasons. In 2022, it was 16 homers, 10 steals, and a 235. Now, Morrell is interesting because, again, I don't really know exactly what to make of him. But one thing I do know is that in NFBC leagues, he's going to be utility only. And that is something that you have to keep an eye on if you are an NFBC player. If you are a Yahoo player, then you are going to get second base uh, outfield and potentially a couple more. Because there was the way that he played, it was like he played 61 times at the DH, 19 times at second, 12 times in center, 8 times in left, 8 times in right five times at third and twice at second base, or excuse me, twice at short. So we're looking right now, if you look at Yahoo's eligibility, second, third, short, and outfield, and I think he'll keep second and outfield. Short's gone for sure, only playing it twice, and third base is kind of going to be iffy, considering he played there five times. Yahoo's rules are kind of interesting. Like It's not just a matter of how many times you appear at a position. It starts versus late-game substitution, so... I'm not sure about Morel, but I, I know for sure third base is gone in a lot of formats. In NFBC, you're looking at a utility-only player. For somebody who's striking out 31% of the time, who they have shown that they will send down and not play occasionally, I think it's a little bit too risky considering the profile. If you strike gold with it, it can be great because people like myself are going to doubt him because of the low uh, batting average, relatively low batting average, high strikeout rate. People will discount him. People will push him down rankings, blah, blah, blah. And it's probably right to do so, but you will you will strike gold potentially if Morel is able to play a whole season. We've seen it over the last two years in just 100 games, 113 games, that he can be close to a top 200 fantasy asset. He was the 229th ranked player this season. You give him a whole season worth of games, you're probably looking at a top 100 player. You could make that argument. Like if they just you know take the kid gloves off and let him go, you know, you could see 35 homers, 15 stolen bases, and a 260 average. And at that point, he's going to be close to a top 50 player, top 60 player. I want to see what their plan is with him, if it's going to be just to be a platoon guy, if they're actually going to have a spot for him, because they've shown that they'll play him everywhere. And I don't know exactly how much I love that from Christopher Morrell. He's not a plus defender. So there will be times when he'll lose playing time because of that. Sometimes it'll be because of the strikeouts. He goes very hot and very cold. He's not somebody I'd really want to invest in, but once you get past a certain point of the draft, 200, 250, the upside is there for him to return a really good season with potentially a few different positions of eligibility depending on how they play him in season. Like as of right now, like I said, second, third, short, and outfield eligible player. Talking Yahoo there. 
but that's pretty damn good. You will take that every single day of the week, having somebody you can plug in at a middle infield, corner infield, the individual positions themselves, the outfield spots. Like there is a lot of value in Morrell if he's just able to play a full season. But that'll do it for us. That is the top 23rd baseman now we have gone through. There are a few that we are going to talk about that we did not get to. We did not get to Cabrian Hayes. We didn't get to Ellie Dela Cruz because he just didn't finish in that top group. We didn't get to Jordan Walker. We didn't get to Ty France. There's a lot of guys. Royce Lewis. There's a lot of guys with third base eligibility, third baseman. Matt Chapman. Like, there's a lot of guys we did not get to because there's a hell of a lot of position or a hell of a lot of players at third base to go over, but we'll finish that up tomorrow. We will talk about the last remaining interesting names. We won't get too, too deep into the weeds. We won't talk about Mike Moustakis and, and guys like that. But like I said, the Chapmans, the Dela Cruzes of the world, we will get to on tomorrow's show. Until then, if you got any questions or any comments, anything like that, reach out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Ethos Fantasy BB is the page to be checking out for all of our new updates and content. And of course, sportsethos.com, if you guys have not checked it out already. Fantastic website with a ton of great tools, specifically for basketball with the NBA in full swing now. We have had every team play games. Go and check out what we have going on on the website. But guys, I'll leave it there. Until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.